Romans 12, 3 through 13. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we would ask now, as we've read your word, that you would open up our minds and our hearts to receive your word. Lord, we're reminded in this text that each of us ought to be humble, ought to be sober-minded, ought to live lives of grace toward other people because of the gift that you have given to us, the gift of salvation, and then also spiritual gifts that you have entrusted to each of us that are not to be used for our own benefit or to make much of ourselves, but are to be used for the building up of the body of Christ, are to be used for the good of the person to our left or the person to our right in this room this morning. So Lord, we would pray that you would help us to be a people who are spiritual, who are gifted, who are godly, and who are generous and outward focused as we seek to live out life together in this new community called the church, called God's family. So Lord, we pray that you would teach us and that you would instruct us and that you would push us in the direction that we need to go as a church, as a family, in order to glorify you with our lives. So God, we're inviting you now and pleading with you now to do this in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So this morning, I I want us to spend a little bit of time together sort of looking into 2019. We're here at the final Sunday of 2018, and so as a church family, we want to start thinking um, intentionally about 2019 and the things that God is calling us toward in this brand new year. One of our big priorities as a church for this new year is organizing and launching community groups. Wanting to, as Ryan was just talking about in our announcements, not only gather on Sundays, but wanting to organize ourselves into smaller groups throughout the week 
where we can be intentional in building meaningful community. And that's what I want to talk about together this morning in this sermon. So we're taking a break from our studies through 1 Timothy. We'll be picking those up in January together. But taking a break from that, again, to talk a little bit about vision and about this idea of community in the church. So what I want to talk about this morning is the importance of community groups and how they're effective for spiritual growth. But first, let me just back up for a moment, and let's talk more broadly about the idea of community. Let me start with a definition for us of what I mean as I'm using this word community this morning. What I mean when I say community is I'm talking about meaningful relationships with others where you are known by them, and where they know you. So when I talk about community, I don't just mean, you know, people that you live in the same city with, or you run into at a coffee shop, or people that you share a workspace in a public workspace setting in our city. I'm I'm talking about community in a more restricted sense, and I think a more biblical sense, talking about meaningful relationships with other people where you know them, and they know you. Now, meaningful community is not something that's easy to come by in this culture. In fact, the way our culture sees itself and understands itself actually uh, actually tends to push us away from meaningful relationships with other people. You and I in the modern West live in radical individualism. We live in a culture that is marked by ideas and notions of individual rights, personal autonomy, and the pursuit of individual happiness at all costs. In fact, when you think about our value system collectively as a culture, the pursuit of your own happiness is pretty much at the top of the list. And you pursuing that is what people value and what people try to protect, and it doesn't matter what impact your pursuit of happiness has on yourself or the larger community. We're extremely individualistic. And listen, this radical individualism has led many people in the modern West to live lives of radical isolationism. What I mean by that is that we're so concerned with our own individual pursuits that for all practical purposes, we've cut ourselves off from significant and meaningful relationships. For example, your neighbor's The people that you live next to or the people that live on your street, historically in this culture, were some of your closest friends and some of the people who you had the deepest relationships with. Your kids grew up together. They all played together. You knew everybody in the neighborhood. Fast forward to 2018. Most of us, especially if you're part of the younger generation, most of us don't even know the names of all of our immediate neighbors and certainly not the people down the street. Or if you know their names, you can't tell me the last time that you ever had those people over to your house for a meal, right? Most people in American culture now, we drive, we only see our neighbors when we drive in and out of the garage every single morning, right? You get up in the morning, you get ready for work, you get into the garage, you start up the car, you hit the button, you back out, You close off the 
moat to the castle there. You drive down the street, you might wave at the neighbor that you don't know. And then when you get home from work, you do the same thing. You come right back in, you hit a button, you drive in, you park, and the door's shut before you even get out of the car. And we just don't know these people. We don't talk to these people that live near us. Unfortunately, even families and friends are often not very close anymore. We're very spread out. We're mobile communities, of course. And then add to all this the way that technology has aggravated the problem, right? Smartphones that we all have. Everybody sits on their phones. We're not connecting uh, face-to-face anymore. We're connecting over FaceTime. But even that's a step above probably text messaging and other things. Unfortunately, you see people even sitting around the dinner table now, which used to be kind of a sacred space where families would get together to relate after a long day. And a lot of homes are like this now. All the family members are sitting with their phones like this. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Even the kids have phones. The dog has a phone. Everybody's on their smartphone. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you see it in restaurants. And we're just not relating with one another. Everybody's off in their own world doing their own thing. And again, this is, this is not just tolerated in our culture. This is actually celebrated in our culture. This, these radical notions of individualism. Um, in our culture, for example, we consider people strong if they don't need anyone else. Right? If they, can, if they can kind of make it on their own. Well, those are the strong people in our community. And we consider people weak if they are dependent on others or if they need other people. Of course, the truth is we all need other people. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. But that's the idea is, oh, the strong are those who can just do it themselves. They don't need to rely on anybody. It's no surprise then that this has crept, this idea has crept into our churches. Many of our churches have been impacted by this type of thinking. Many Christians in the modern West uh, come to church and they, they don't really know people that well in the church. Even the relationship with God has become a strictly individualistic thing. It's just about me and Jesus and my vertical relationship with God. And their whole church experience is about what can I get out of this? How does this matter to me? What does this mean for me? And there's no thought to the relationships that you're called to have with the person sitting next to you. Many people enter churches thinking that we don't really need other believers. Sure, it's cool if I have a couple Christian friends, but I'd be okay if it was just me and Jesus going at it alone, like Lone Ranger Christianity. Well, family, listen, it's important for us to be reminded this morning that the Bible has a totally different outlook on relationships and community. In Romans 12, which we read a section of a moment ago, and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul likens the church to a physical body, and he likens every member of the church to a specific body part. Let me reread this section here in Romans 12, starting in verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and all the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ." 
and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. So notice that the biblical model holds together these two realities of you as an individual. He says each one individually. So the Bible doesn't deny that you're an individual, but it upholds your individualism along with your interconnectedness with other members in this community of faith. And this metaphor that Paul's using of the body speaks to our interdependence, that you and I actually need one another, that our relationships matter for the well-being of each other and the well-being of the church. You and I need to see ourselves as totally dependent on each other for our spiritual well-being. Just how dependent, might you, we might ask? Well, think about it this way. What would happen to any part of your body if it were suddenly severed from the rest of your body? Maybe a finger, or a toe, or your hand, or an arm, or your kidney? Do those body parts, once they're severed from the rest of your body, do they just continue living their own existence? Sort of like, I'm getting the mental imagery of, uh, remember Thing on the Adams Family? It's just like this hand running around doing things. Is that what would happen if part of your body was severed from the whole? No, of course not. If part of the body was severed from the rest, it would just cease to live. It would die. And Paul is using this sort of a metaphor to say, look, some of us, he talks about this in Corinthians, some of us are eyes, some of us are hands maybe, some of us are internal organs that you can't see, but we're all parts of the total body and we are all interdependent and we are all necessary. We need each other. That's the teaching of the New Testament. I need you, you need me, we need to be connected and in meaningful community with each other to live and to thrive as Christians. So look at your neighbor and tell him what you've always wanted to say. Look at him right now and say, you need me. Now look at your other neighbor and tell him, you need me. Okay, now hold on. It's fun to remind them that they need you. But you know what? The truth goes the other way as well. They do need you, but you need them. And again, we need to be reminded of these things because we don't take this seriously enough in the modern West in the church. We need one another to thrive spiritually. So the question I want us to ask ourselves today is, am I involved in meaningful relationships in the body of Christ? Am I connected to a local church? And am I in meaningful relationships with other Christians in that church who I know and who know me? It's important for us to be reminded as well that community 
is not just some buzzword that's been uh, circling around Christianity for the last 15 or 20 years. The idea of biblical community, deep-seated, meaningful relationships and interconnectedness in the body of Christ runs throughout the whole narrative of Scripture. From cover to cover, this book, the Bible, demonstrates that community is essential. And so what I want to do is spend a few minutes this morning making a biblical case for community. Because it's not enough for me, as the pastor, just to stand up here and say, trust me when I say the Bible teaches this. No, no, no. We need to see this in Scripture. So let's make a biblical case for community. What I want to specifically show you is that community is essential to two things that are relevant for this morning. Community is essential to number one, listen, human flourishing. And then number two, community is essential to spiritual formation. What I mean by that is it's essential to you actually growing in your faith and becoming more like Jesus. So first, let me just show you in general, and this is true of Christians and non-Christians, that community is essential to human flourishing. You only get to the second chapter of the Bible before you see the first evidence that you and I as human beings need community to thrive. This is Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. This is the first instance of God in this creation account speaking of anything that he had made as being not good. Everything that he had surveyed of his work, as he surveyed it, God's declaration over creation was that it was good, that it was very good. And then he looks at the aloneness of man. And he says, this is not good. It is not good that the man should be alone. Humans were created for community. That's why immediately after God says that in Genesis chapter 2, he forms Eve and human community is created. We need relationships to thrive as human beings. This is why when you stop and think about solitary confinement, you realize that's such a horrendous punishment. People who have been in solitary confinement especially for long periods of time, have gone in and out of solitary confinement, experience extreme psychological issues as a result of that generally, and it it has radically negative effects on the individual. If you are a fan of the show Lost, which was out a number of years ago, you'll remember in Lost that there was this one character, her name was Rousseau, and she was like isolated on the island that all these characters ended up on for I think like 16 years or something by herself before these other characters in the show find her. And her, the portrayal of this woman Rousseau is so eye-opening because the way that she's portrayed in the, in the TV show is she's almost like subhuman at first as she reconnects with human beings for the first time in almost two decades. She's been in isolation so long that it's actually done something to her to make her sort of subhuman as a, as a person. You and I were designed to exist in community. And this is what's so fascinating. In this way, 
you and I are very much like the God who created us. Because the God who created us is a God who has always existed in community. See, the biblical understanding of who God is, is that we worship a triune God. One God, but he has eternally existed in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what that means is that for all time, God has existed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in relationship with each other. We see the first hints of this right there in the first chapter of your Bible. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. God existing in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, so far, we see that God exists in community and that he created humans to exist in community. And that's in Genesis 1 and 2. And guess what? This is the theme that runs through the rest of your Bible. After creation, God called a people, the Israelites, out from among the peoples of the earth, and he established them in a community. Fast forward to the life of Jesus. When Jesus came, he established a better community, the church. And as we saw from Romans 12, they are to exist in community. Then as we fast forward all the way to the end of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, we're given a preview of life in God's eternal kingdom. And here's what we read about existence there. Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they, plural, will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So how does the story all end? The story ends with God and his people dwelling together in community forever. So we see from cover to cover that community is God's design for human flourishing. But, as I said, it's also essential for spiritual formation. Community, meaningful relationships, listen, is the vehicle for transformation. It comes as no surprise when you start to see how essential community is to human flourishing. It comes as no surprise that when God came and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ, community was the strategy that he employed for spiritual formation. I find it extremely insightful that Jesus did not write a book full of instructions for how to live, and then just give that to people and say, read this and you'll have it all figured out. Did you know that Jesus did not author the New Testament? His apostles did, but Jesus didn't. Notice what Jesus did to transform his disciples. What he did is, again, not just leave them with a book to go off and read. He chose 12 men who he spent three intimate years with before his death. They ate together. They traveled together. They worshiped together. They prayed together. They worked together. And in many instances, they lived together. And that community that Jesus formed with those disciples proved to be transformative for those 12 men. And now check this out. 
through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, He has made a way for all of us by faith to be included into that same transformative community where Jesus is still present in His church today. Where Jesus is still discipling, so to speak, followers today through the church. 1 Peter 2.10, which we read at the start of our service today, reminds us of this reality. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have received mercy and we have received entrance into the people of God. We've been brought into a brand new community where we are truly better together. This pattern of community transforming the church continued with the early church after Jesus ascended into heaven. We read in the book of Acts that the church was in one accord. We read in the book of Acts that the church met regularly, both in the temple and also from house to house. And of course, we have this great reminder in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 of the essential nature of community to the church. Here's what we read, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. So spotty church attendance was a problem in the first century too. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the, the day drawing near. It's almost like Paul, or the, or the author, I should say, of Hebrews was saying, we cannot neglect meeting together, first century Christians. And then he's saying, and for those of you who are maybe living as the church in future days, you really can't af afford to neglect meeting together because what happens when we come together is we're encouraging one another and we're stirring each other up to love and good works. What does that mean? It means to living the life of faith and godliness. We're able to encourage each other as we connect with each other, as we get to know each other, as we pray for one, one another, as we serve one another through the various trials and temptations of life. And look, all of us know the benefit of having somebody else with you to encourage you further in life than you would be able to go on your own. We see this in all kinds of different aspects of life. A couple months ago, uh, me and Ty French were hiking in the local mountains here. And Ty's not here this morning, so I can embellish the story a little bit. Um, so we went hiking together. Now, Ty texted me at like 10 p.m. the night before. Daniel, I know this is last minute. Do you want to go hiking in the morning? Uh, we'll just go really early at like 6 in the morning. Okay, sure. So I text him back. Yeah, we'll do that. So the next morning, I'm thinking we're going to do a nice casual hour-long hike or something. Little did I know we were going to hike the second highest peak in the mountains here. So we get up and we go to do that. And um, we start hiking. And I'm like, man, we've got to be to the end of this thing like any moment now. I said that like 20 times throughout this hike. Okay. 
I mean, I had gone through the half of the water that I had packed in the fruit snack. Like you, you get an idea of what kind of hike I thought I was going on. A fruit snack and a half of water. I got through that in like the first like 10th of this hike. So we're going and I'm like, dude, this is getting really hard right now. And wait, why would I tell the story that way? So Ty, he's struggling so bad on this whole hike, right? He wanted to stop over and over again. And I'm just like, bro, let's go. And I kept it. Now, the truth of it is I could point to probably 12 different spots along that hike. That would have been my turnaround points if I was hiking alone that morning. Because I wasn't prepared for it. I didn't even stretch before I hiked. I need to stretch now or I start feeling sore. So there were like 12 different points I would have stopped and turned around. But you know why I didn't? I didn't because I had Ty there. And he was the one who was like, hey, it's just a little bit further. Lie. It's just a little bit further. Oh, it's just right over this ridge. By the end of it, it was so embarrassing. I was like the, the you know, six-year-old kid that dad's trying to encourage. It was like, son, you can make it. It's, the, it's right here. It's the end. And I'm like wobbling all the way up to the end of this hike. It was very, very humiliating. But I made it. And I got to the top. And I felt great that I did. But the point is, I would have never done the whole hike that morning. I would have saved it for a different day when I was more prepared. But because I had Ty with me, encouraging me, and honestly, it was more of a pride thing. I just wasn't going to give up because I had another guy there. That encouragement was enough to make me go way further than I would have gone on my own that morning. And this is the way community works. When you have somebody else there to encourage you, they're able to push you through moments where you would have stopped They're able to help get you through seasons where you might have turned back. And the scriptures make it clear that we need that in the journey of faith. There are moments where you're going to be going through something that is going to be such a struggle that you're going to be tempted to just throw in the towel. There are going to be moments perhaps where doubt is creeping in. And if you just sit and let that swirl in your head by yourself and you have no outlet to share that with, that could be the end of you. There's going to be moments where things are so hard in your life or so challenging in your faith that, again, you would throw in the towel possibly by yourself. But when you have other people who know you, other people that you can be vulnerable with, other people that you can include that can get in your corner and pray for you and serve you through those hard times, minister to you and your family, it will see you through those challenging moments. Church, listen, we need each other. Plain and simple. Many, of, many a Christian has fallen by the wayside because, again, they tried to do Lone Ranger Christianity. They thought, oh, I'll just show up. I'll hear a little sermon here or there. I'll just talk to God. I'll do my own thing. And before they knew it, the flesh, the world, the devil was getting the best of them. And they were drug away. They're like the sheep who strayed away from the flock and strayed away from the shepherd and they're attacked by the wolf. We need one another. So again, I ask you this morning, are you in community with your church family? Are you connected to a local church family where you are doing life together with other members, where you are known by the church, where you are known by the leadership of the church? And where you know them. Because if you're not, listen, you'll always struggle to experience transformation. And as a pastor, I meet with lots of people. And I get to counsel and talk to lots of people about their faith. 
And I cannot tell you how many times in my ministry as a pastor, I have sat with somebody who is struggling in their faith, and you just ask them a simple question like this, are you plugged into the church? Are you connected to the church? Have you reached out to friends in the church? Do they know what's going on? Well, no, I, I don't really know people. I'm not really... And it's like, how do you expect to experience transformation if you're largely disconnected from your local church? Well, Daniel, you might say, I'm not all that interested in transformation. Sure, I could see how that might help if I really wanted transformation, but I don't really care about that. I'm not all that interested in that. If that's you this morning, I would say to you, yes, you are. (laughs) Whether you admit it or not, you are interested in transformation. If you're a Christian here this morning, you're interested in transformation because you know that that's God's goal for you. You know that God's goal for you as a Christian is for you to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's Romans 8.29. But even if you're not a Christian this morning, chances are that you secretly long for transformation. I mean, just go to any bookstore and go to the self-help section and look at how much space is taken up by that section of a bookstore. Or go on Amazon, just type in self-help, just look at the volumes that are written of self-help books that are trying to help people to change into a better version of who they are, a version that they're actually happy with. Or just look at the magazines on the racks at the checkout line at the grocery store. You'll see articles and titles, the new you or a better you. Or of course, we've talked about this before. Just look at the amount of money spent in this country on plastic surgery, trying to beautify ourselves and make ourselves into somebody that we're a little bit more happy with. Deep down inside, people long for transformation. Deep down inside, all of us, when we're being honest with ourselves, are saying, you know what? I don't, I don't hope in five years to be a worse person than I am today. All of us long to be a better person, a better version of who we are. And again, if you're a Christian, all that gets reinterpreted into not just a better person, but a more godly person, a person like Jesus. And here's the, th- the thing this morning. God is telling you how that's going to come about. By being established in community. By going from coming to church as a consumer to instead belonging to the church as a member. By developing meaningful relationships with others where iron can sharpen iron. Now I know a lot of people are resistant to this. And a lot of people sit back and as we talk about being actually known by other people, a lot of people kind of cringe and they just go, I don't know if I want to sign up for something like that. I don't know if I want that sort of closeness. I don't know if I want people to know me that well. And the reason for that is because it makes people feel vulnerable. Did you know that fear is the great hurdle to community? Fear is the thing that keeps people from really developing meaningful community. Fear of being exposed. Fear of not fitting in. Fear of being judged by somebody else, etc. But let me say this, fear and faith can't coexist. So either your faith is going to drive out your fears, or fear is going to drive out your faith. What you and I need to do is we need to take a step of faith, take God at his word, 
and say, I'm going to pursue meaningful relationships in the church. And what you'll find when you choose to do that is this. You'll find that other people in the church know that they are anything but perfect, and so they're not expecting perfection from you. And what you'll find is that in the church, you're going to find other people that believe that they themselves are in desperate need of God's grace, and so they're going to be a lot more likely to extend grace to you. This is why we see community groups as an essential part of the DNA of our church. Now, community groups aren't the only way to establish meaningful relationships in the church. You could do it other ways, but they're probably the most obvious and most straightforward. Community groups are key to your spiritual formation and growth here at Apostles Church. And so I know that a number of you have already signed up expressing interest in community groups. If you have not done that and you're able I want to encourage you this morning to sign up for a community group. Let us map out what these groups are going to look like with you this next month and get you plugged into a group that is going to work with your schedule. Now, I want to conclude this morning with just a couple practical questions because I know a lot of us are thinking, what do these look like? What do they do? How are they organized? Let me just address that really quick before we wrap up our message. A couple practical questions. So first, how will groups be organized? At this point, groups will not be organized by age demographic or marital status or gender or any other distinction or category we can make in the church. All of our groups are going to be a cross-section of the total church body. And the reason we want to do that is because when you look at the Bible and when you consider the passages that we started with today, we remember that Paul taught that every member of the body of Christ has certain gifts that they are to use to contribute to the common good of the church. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that guys should be ushers and girls should be greeters. He doesn't say that the young people should play music and the older people should pray. He doesn't say that the married people should excel in hospitality and the single people should do all the evangelism. That's not the way it works. The Spirit distributes gifts as He sees fit. And all of us are given gifts that bless this body in unique ways. And all of us are called to minister to the church. And so all of us, as we join together in community group, are going to be able to serve one another with the gifts that God has given us. Well, when will groups meet? Initially, Groups are going to be meeting in the evenings. And again, we're going to outline the days over the next couple of weeks that groups will be meeting. But it'll be in the evenings so that people are out of work and school. Finally, what are groups going to do? Play bingo. Exclusively. They're going to be bingo groups. Now, what are groups going to do? Number one, they're going to fellowship. They're going to have discussion where we talk about the things that God is teaching us in our church. And we can hold each other accountable We're going to pray for each other and we're going to serve each other and care for one another's needs. So in conclusion this morning, what we've covered is that God exists in community and he designed us for community as well. It is essential to human flourishing and it is essential to spiritual formation as you and I are called into a new community, God's family. 
So what we're praying for as a church is we're praying that 2019 is a year that is marked by increasing intimacy among the members of this church and that as we live out the life of faith in community with each other, that the watching world around us would be compelled to join us as they see that in Christ we are truly better together. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this vision that you have human flourishing. Not a vision of isolation, not a vision of being cut off from others, but a vision of knowing others and being known by others. And Lord, I know that for many of us in this church, we are connected. We do have other relationships with family and friends and church family here at Apostles Church. And Lord, I pray that as we go into this new year and as we roll out community groups in our church, I just pray, Lord, that those would, see, that those would be used to foster a deeper sense of intimacy in community. But Lord, I'm also aware of the fact that there are others in our church, perhaps because they're new to this community, this, this city, or perhaps because of the season of life that they're in, that they do find themselves in more or less isolation. They find themselves sort of cut off from meaningful relationships. And I know the way that that can, over time, negatively impact people. And so, Lord, I pray that we as a church would rectify those things. Lord, I'm thinking even of those in our church who we should be uh, just more intentional about including into community and visiting and spending time with. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church family to be sensitive to those needs and to minister to every person in our church. But Lord, I pray again for any who are not connected here at Apostles Church that you would give them the faith to step out and to become committed here at this church, to become even members of this church, Lord, and to be plugged into meaningful community so that they themselves can flourish and can grow in their faith. And Jesus, we thank you for the work that you have done on the cross and through your resurrection from the grave to make a way for us, no matter what our background is, no matter what the color of our skin is, no matter what country we've come from, no matter how much money we have, no matter how much or how little education we have, Jesus, you have paved a way for all of us in this room to be joined together into a new family, a new community, and to be brothers and sisters in Christ who love each other and serve each other. What a beautiful thing. So Jesus, thank you for the great work that you've done to make us family. And we worship you in light of that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.